0: Welcome to ECI's podcast, Building Successful Businesses, where we speak to business leaders about their careers, lessons learned and the advice they'd now give. I'm Fiona Moore and today I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Axelbaum, MIQ's Global Head of Inclusion and Diversity. MIQ is a global programmatic media partner and its founders, Lee and German, have become real champions about the role of leaders in fighting inequity in their own business and the wider world. So I'm really looking forward to hearing a bit more about that journey and Sarah's role within it. Hi Sarah. Hi, how are you doing Fiona? (laughs) I'm good, thank you. So I have to say, you're the first head of IND we've actually had on the podcast. I imagine the career path to become the head of inclusion and diversity isn't yet a really well-trodden one. How did you make that transition into the role?
1: Yeah, that's for sure. I spend so much time in networks of other people that do this work and none of us have the same path to get into it. So it's definitely a new field for a lot of places. And some companies certainly saw the importance early on, but for the most part, I think that companies relied on either HR or volunteers to own it, but that meant that it really didn't get the full attention it needed. It didn't get the support it needed. So personally, I'm a lifelong volunteer. I've worked at you know a number of places where I was doing nonprofit work, Also, throughout my career, I was a member of affinity clubs, you know, that was what they called them in the late 90s and early 2000s, and then fun and culture committees. And it was always, you know, that extra thing that you did on top of your work. But I'm a huge believer that if you don't focus on this, then it just doesn't happen. So I really dive way into things like solidarity, making sure we're bringing people together and we're helping each other that were story sharing and normalizing hard and uncomfortable conversations. And then transparency is so key. And one of the key things that brought me kind of where I am is I started started a women's employee resource group at a very large company. And I then became the business partner for diversity and inclusion. And that was fully volunteer. So I was committing probably 40 hours a week to that. And then I had the full-time job to do on top of it. But I really got to a point where I was granted this incredible opportunity where I could choose my own next step on my career path rather than just climbing up to that next rung on my ladder. And somebody said, who i had been working with for a long time, you know, I think you should do this work full time. And I remember saying to her, no one does this work full time. No one gets paid to actually do this. And she said, that's going to change. And she was my absolute soothsayer. And I decided to go all in. So I started doing more consulting. I went back to school, got some certification, started getting some more real world full-time experience. And then when I went all in, I was incredibly fortunate that MIQ was in the all-in position that I was and they were looking for someone. And so I started here in March of 2020, which was one whole week before the world upended.
0: (laughs) Oh, amazing. I think I started at ECI in March 2020 as well. So it's definitely an interesting time to start a job. And what was it about MIQ that made you kind of want to join them as an organization?
1: So it was really awesome to hear from so many people that I respected that MIQ was a place that was on their radar or that they really adored. And I think that the key thing that resonated with me is that MIQ was known as the place that cared about the work that they did and the people who were doing that work. And I've seen that proven out time and time again in the nearly two years I've been here. And one thing's for certain, we don't always get it right. And we have a long way to go on some things, but there's this persistent state of really caring about getting better, And I think that matters above all else. You can have all the things in place, but if people don't fundamentally care about moving things forward, especially on sensitive topics like inclusion and diversity, it just goes nowhere.
0: And I suppose the fact that MIQ were looking to hire into the role is already such a big step that you know that they might be a good home in terms of what you want to
1: achieve. Absolutely. It felt like a perfect match, perfect timing. I actually started talking to MIQ months before the role fully opened and that gave me a great opportunity to get to know the company for them to get to know me and then when I was ready they were ready and I had just had a baby so it was a great way to return from my parental leave and it was just a very kismet match that happened.
0: Obviously since you've started there's been an awful lot to be proud of about the steps that MIQ have taken around inclusion and diversity. Are there any achievements that really stand out to you that you're especially
1: proud of? I think a big one for me is the IDEA report that we published internally and externally. So that was our inclusion, diversity, equity, and accountability report. And we made transparent all of our demographic statistics about who worked here, what our inclusion surveys looked like, what our compensation looked like. And we really did that with the eye on knowing that what gets measured gets done. And we also wanted to have that honest reflection as to what was working, what wasn't working, where we need to course correct, and then identifying our biggest gaps so we knew where to prioritize. So for us, that report was a really big pride point for me and for the company because we were willing to go there and we really want to try to make that something that the industry believes is important because we want other people to join us. We want other people to show their data so we can all get better together because we're all in the same spot and we're all in it. So we can really help each other as long as we're willing to be honest about where we are.
0: And how far do you think companies broadly are on that journey around transparency? Because it feels like a long way, maybe since 10, five years ago, but also maybe like a drop in the ocean. So how do you think companies generally are doing on that?
1: I think it's a really wide spectrum. I think some people feel like transparency is something they never want to do because they have this fear of scaring their employees or in some cases, a lack of trust. And then on the other side, there are companies that say, you know what, we hired grownups who are smart and professional. And if we can't trust them with this, then where are we as a company? And, you know, that's backfired a few times. There have been some companies whose transparency has gotten leaked and has created a a point of concern for a lot of people. But I firmly believe that if you keep going in the right direction that you foundationally believe in, that's aligned with the values of the company, then there shouldn't be anything that you're really ashamed to get out there if it does. And I think if you kind of approach everything with the idea that it can be transparent then that allows you to work in a much more accountable and much more equitable way because you know that somebody could take a peek and you have so much more opportunity to create that equity that I think we're all looking at for companies.
0: And I think um, inclusion and diversity and transparency is definitely something companies feel a bit daunted by partly like you say you're sort of exposing yourself and having very open and honest conversations and I think companies also wonder about kind of what their role is within the wider environment and the world that we operate in what what do you think the biggest challenge actually is facing companies around inclusion and diversity and is there any advice that you'd give them
1: yeah i think that there are so many headwinds right now and a lot of it's predictable but it's on a scale that we've never seen before we are right now just all so exhausted. The pandemic has really brought us to a place where we feel like the fight has become very hard, Uh, social justice, anti-racism. A lot of it really is something that we know is exhausting, but right now it's just tenfold what I ever remember experiencing. So I think knowing that we're all in this together, that we are all in a position where we're facing the same headwinds. I think the theme that I would say is that you really can't please everyone. And the same group of people may feel completely opposite to the way that you want to move forward and to people who are in the same group. And no matter which way you choose, it feels like, especially with sensitive subjects and high stakes, that you can't get it wrong, so you don't want to move forward. But the only thing worse than choosing wrong is not choosing, in my opinion. And we hit a pretty big example of this recently where our founders really focused on anti-racism pretty transparently from the very start of when we started having these conversations. And we had many of our employees who experienced racism in the past. They were completely aligned with this being an important focus. They thought it was so important. They felt our foot on the gas was a huge, huge motivator and opportunity for change, but then there were others who had experienced racism who felt like it was a triggering reminder and seeing it regularly at work was hard. So it was so hard to reconcile because no matter which decision we made, someone would feel hurt. The stakes were really high. It was about a very sensitive topic. And in the end, we move forward and stick with the courage of our convictions because, you know, we choose to be very transparent about what we focus on and what we stand for. So that way people can opt in or opt out. We can always be better at that. But in the end, we just hope we get it right more often than we get it wrong. And then we try to learn from everything along the way.
0: I think that fear of getting it wrong is something that often does stop people from doing anything, because, you know, especially in the world of social media, you worry about all the consequences of your own actions and whether anyone might take it negatively. Do do you think that's part of the reason why it's so helpful to have this as a dedicated role, uh, to give people more courage in their convictions and kind of push that point that you may not get it right for everyone, but
1: if you get it right because of what you believe in, it's important? Yeah, I think that this is happening regardless of whether you have someone in this role. If you don't have someone who understands some of the context, some of the history, who is embedded in learning from others who are combating this in the workplace and really trying to make sure people belong every single day, then it risks losing the trust of the employees. The future success of the business is really on the hook because this future of the workforce is incredible. They are diverse, they are opinionated, and they are excited to share their opinions. And they are not going to take the stance that the way that it's always been done is the way to move forward. So it's on all of us to be more inclusive. It's on all of us to prepare for this future because this change is happening whether we want it to or not. So having someone to guide through it and to kind of Buckle up with you through the bumpy part, someone and better yet a team of people who can bring different points of view, who understand the complexity and who are committed to leading an organization through it is crucial. It's it's just no longer a nice to have, it's a need to have.
0: If you were making a prediction, would you say that this is probably a role that actually it's almost an inevitability that most sort of medium to large organizations will have in their leadership team in you know,
1: five, 10 years? I would love to say it is but i think resistance is going to remain high i think that companies will continue to think of this as a volunteer position or as something that someone else can do in conjunction and not really give it the dedicated support that it needs but i think the people that are willing to invest in this are investing in their people and investing in the future and I think long term, this is going to be a huge differentiator between the companies that weather storms and the companies that feel like it's always a storm that they cannot get through. And it's something that's interesting from an investor's perspective
0: as well. I think the questions that we'd maybe ask of a management team that we're meeting, for example, around social purpose, around inclusion and diversity is very different from probably where it was 10 years ago. And that does sometimes drive change as well.
1: Absolutely. You know, relying on historically what made for a successful business was completely upended with the pandemic, completely upended with George Floyd, with everything that every single employee is facing, whether or not the business is brand new or hundreds of years old, every single person is encountering some piece of this. And if businesses aren't on board with dedicating resources, time, and budgets to this, then they're going to be left behind.
0: And we always like to ask uh, leaders about the best advice they've been given during their career. And we sort of mentioned this is maybe a slightly uh, newer career path compared to sort of saying that maybe you knew you wanted to do, sort of say that straight out of school. But is there any advice you've been given throughout that whole career that you found particularly valuable?
1: I think one of the key things that especially gets me through not just The hard times in this job but just kind of elsewhere and everywhere in life right now is the need to celebrate the little wins so it's so easy to get sucked down into the things that didn't go well or could have gotten better or that still need to be done but i know my energy is fueled by celebrating every little win along the way making sure that i take time to account for that And that helps refill my cup so that I have more to give to other people. And I think that that is so often overlooked. And we're so busy looking backwards and criticizing what happened that we don't necessarily celebrate what we've achieved.
0: And how do you think people can embed that within themselves
1: and their own culture? How do they make sure they have it? Being really thoughtful about taking a moment every day to think about what went well is really crucial. I think that mindset is really important. I think that so often people say it's happened to me as opposed to I made it happen. And I try to always kind of start with the idea that what have I done today that I can feel proud of? And that kind of moment of what makes me proud, what what do I want to tell my family I did today? It really helps to have that connection to say, Here's what I want my kids to look up to and what I want my kids to say, hey, my mom does that. And that keeps me really grounded in making sure that I also share my wins, not just internally, but also with my family, with my kids. I think it's,
0: uh, yeah, it's really important to be proud of your own success. And I think it teaches you a lot as well. Is, is there anything that success you know, at MIQ within your own career has taught you about yourself as an
1: individual? I would say personally, I know I, like so many of us, have struggled with imposter syndrome, where it's always that feeling of I'm not good enough or I could have gone better, and really taking the moment to be self-reflective about the fact that that is completely normal, completely common. The most successful people have that, and knowing that the only way to kind of counteract that is to share it and to tell people, hey, I feel this way but I'm doing something about it, and what I try to do about it is kind of focus on those wins, focus on those pride points, and embed that into what I do every day, because this work can be really exhausting, and there's so many times where I think we look at what we're doing, and we say, gosh, so many people are depending on us, and we didn't get it right, but there's also the idea that in the end of the day, our goal is to make sure that every single person feels good about where they come to spend most of the hours of their day and they can thrive at work. And I think that that's really a a motivating force, especially coming from the business side, where I spent so much time in the weeds and solving those problems and being a single point of failure. And now I get to kind of take myself out of that, but also work with people who are constantly in that. So they know that there is a company that cares about them and wants to see them thrive in their environment, regardless of what's going on around them.
0: Uh, What's next at MIQ that you're most
1: excited about? I think that, you know, more opportunities to connect with one another is something that I'm really hopeful 2022 brings us, whether that's in-person time or just a time to kind of look at Where are people on their journey for inclusion right now? How do we share stories? How do we understand the lived experiences of each other and of people who live different lives than us? How do we make sure that we unite around things that we truly care about? That connectivity is something that I think has been unfortunately a side effect of living in a virtual world. Now that we know that while we'll be in person more, there will probably still be a lot of times where we'll be virtual and creating those connection points purposefully, I think is a huge, huge opportunity for all of us to really create a new culture because we know it's not going back to where it was. So what do we do in this new world? How do we make it great? When we talk about MIQ, I think we've had such positive reinforcement about having inclusion a part of every day, that it's something that we are absolutely moving forward into next year and hopefully way beyond that.
0: Thanks so much for joining me today. I think it's great to hear kind of about the work that you're doing at MIQ. And I think the lesson for me is that this is happening whether or not you necessarily have the dedicated resources. How can you harness the power of that change rather than resist it? And
1: obviously that makes such a big impact at MIQ, but also the world at large. Absolutely, you know, we are here to help. We're here to guide. We're here to create opportunity for all of these conversations. And the more we can have conversations about it, the more regular and natural it will become. And that just raises all the boats with that tide. Thanks Sarah. Thank you.